Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I'm your host, Ted Harrington, and with me here today is my friend, my member of the tech community, my fellow author, Etienne de Bruin. He is the founder of Seven CTOs and the number one best-selling author of CTO Excellence. Etienne, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I love it, Ted. I love that my people was able to work this out with your people, you know? Got all the, the documents signed, the agreements made, and, and here I am. We're, we're good to go. Here we are. That was a joke. And as, <laughs> and as we learned before we started hitting record, you finally corrected my pronunciation of your name. So this was, this was an important day for both of us. Especially since we've known each other. Uh, I'm going to say, has it been 10 years already? I think so. I mean, yeah. I feel like right when 7CTOs started was when I got introduced to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you guys had just started may- maybe like a couple years before that. But yeah, it's, been, it's funny how time flies. I mean, certainly the pandemic distorts the sense of time, but uh, it's been a minute. Yes. Well, I asked you to come on the show, not only because I just enjoy chatting with you about anything, but because you have this book that I think is so perfectly catered to our audience. It's called CTO Excellence. What's the subtitle again? In 100 days? In 100 days, becoming the leader your company deserves. It's fire, dude. I remember when you were you were in the book writing process and you were I felt really honored that you were asking my input on things like the title and the cover design and stuff and that was that was really cool for me personally to you know be involved in that way in your journey and I remember when you came up with that title and you're like here's what I'm thinking I, like I think I might have thrown the phone down I was like that is so good that speaks to the audience tells them what they're going to get how to get it it's so compelling so tell us about the book why why did you write this well, I want to I wanna just sit with that a little bit because on the book cover, you had an integral part in the emphasis because I, I for me, it was going to be CTO excellence in 100 days, bold, big, bold fonts, and sort of keep it all simple. And you were amazing. I mean, you've had an impact on the cover because you were like, hey, CTO excellence as sort of the promise. And then the in 100 days as something that you can see, but doesn't quite stand right up there with the the promise. And so, I mean, I texted you countless times like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? So not only that, Ted, but I think you you basically resurrected this project for me. And I'll tell you why. And you don't actually know this, I think. But I had been working on the manuscript for about a year and a half, and I you know, the Google Doc, and I should just start writing. And you kind of Google how to start writing a book, and you just sort of vomit your ideas out onto a page. And I kind of got bored with the project, and I kind of just, it's just like, you know, you you get sort of exhausted of your own insufferable ideas. And and I kind of gave up on it. I did finish it, but then I tried to shop it around at these literary 
agents who just see your book as a as a product that you know with dollars and cents and i'll never forget putting it out there i think into the seven ctos community or i think i maybe tweeted it or something and you you just said hey man you should talk to my people over at scribe and houndstooth and lions crest and man dude what a game changer for me so i i tell everybody i know at scribe i tell you i tell other people like you you really you really helped in a formidable way for me to get this project back on track so i want to thank you for that it was truly truly cool your encouragement your your empathy for what i was going through having just published your book so i just want to tell your audience and tell you thank you man you're you're prima oh dude <laughs> well I, I appreciate that i mean you did the hard work i literally like made a suggestion and maybe sent an email to introduce people but you sat down and did it so that's awesome it's been really enjoyable watching watching your journey and i guess the first question that i really have about this idea is like what is cto excellence like how do we define that how do you how do you know it when you see it and where are people coming up short yeah so i I'll, I'll, in, to answer the question, I'll just tell you what gave me the impetus to write it. And it was because I founded seven CTOs, I became sort of Mr. CTO to a lot of people. So after a couple of years, and I'm sure you know this, like, you know, you get asked all these questions and you get referred people because they know you as a security guy. And for me, it was all things CTO. And what I noticed was I would I would be introduced to founders who need CTOs or I, and I would know CTOs who were looking for new opportunities and I would match those people ostensibly by the need and by the skill and by the experience and about the trajectory of the companies and it would always go really well for the first 3 to 6 months and then I would watch the relationship tank and and it happened enough times for me where I was thinking, man, there's something happening in those first few months that is really causing the relationship to sour. And, you know, in the job market, when, when you're done with the job, you just, you, you quit. You, you know, I mean, no one's forcing you to stay in a role. And so what I was seeing was either the CTO sort of losing interest and being let go or really there being some real animosity after a few months or m maybe within the first year and, and people parting ways. And it led me to some research and some of my own stories and, and, and all that to create CTO excellence. And the premise is there are a couple things that you should focus on in your first three months that could really set your relationship up to succeed and really bring the excellence to the company and so i think the to get to your uh, your question for me the definition is somebody who is operating inside of excellence is putting the company and its needs first understands the c-suite is is empathic about the business and about the goals first and then passionate about how technology can solve those issues second and I think what, what we see a lot is CTOs, people who land in those roles are technologists first, and the company is sort of at the behest of that person's expertise or wherever they are in life. 
and I and I see that mixing like oil and water it doesn't really gel, and then so then the company tries to form around the person, or the person isn't willing to adopt the culture or the trajectory of the company, and so that's what I'm looking for inside of uh, an excellence. And so CTO refers to the role, of course, not not the person, and excellence, of course, is a is a moniker for for all companies. Uh, excellence is an easy value that most companies have. And so I want to see excellence in that role. I want the person stepping into that role to really excel and and push that role forward in a way that really creates relationship with people in the company. Is this something that is, I guess, approached differently, whether that person stepping into the CTO role is being promoted from within versus an outside hire, or is it essentially the same challenge? That's such a great question. I think that happens. I think it's different. I think if you are promoted within the company, you have you have you have some real challenges. You know, you have the problem of the way people see you. You know, I don't think there's a clear delineation between oh, you were the lead architect, so you know the architecture, but now you're the CTO, which which you're not the lead architect. The company might still see you that way, and so you kind of have to decouple or untangle yourself from existing constructs about your role or ex- people's experience of you. So I think you have a better chance at establishing what the office of the CTO needs to be in a company when you're stepping into a new company. Now, what uh, this book also addresses is not just the person taking on a a new role in the company, but also CTOs who are experienced in their roles, but find that the role has gone stale a little bit and need to sort of revamp that role towards towards excellence. And so for me, this is a 100-day plan. It's, it's definitely orthogonal to the stuff that you might think, oh, tech this, team this, topology that, you know, CICD this, and all the technical stuff gets put aside. And we focus very much on your interpersonal relationships, how you're showing up, what you're promising, how you're promising it. All that stuff gets addressed. So there's a sort of a hundred day turnaround plan. There's this funny scene in the show, The Office. Have you watched the series, The Office? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there are people who haven't. I know. And there's that scene, right, when Michael goes to the the board meeting and everyone's like booing or whatever, and then he like takes over the mic and he's like, "45 points, 45 days, and we're back in business, baby." And so <laughs> I'm kind of thinking like, <laughs> what What's your hundred points, hundred days? Like how How do we do it in a hundred days? <laughs> the general consensus is that there's a 90 day plan, right? The 30, 60, 90 day plan. I went with a hundred days. Because to me, that's sort of 10, 10 times two weeks. So that's just the way my brain works. It's a nice, there's 10 chapters of two weeks each that you can just execute on each of those. As far as the symbolism, I talk about it, you know, as a, as a South African who moved to the United States, where the presidential elections are based on, on the people voting directly for the president. You know, in South Africa, we have a parliamentary system where the ruling party basically appoints the leader. And in the states, I was really mesmerized by this the the the, the process of popularity and and how presidents were vying for people's vote. 
And the way they were doing that was what I noticed. I was actually interviewing for my first job in the United States. And I, my wife and I flew over to do a round of interviews with the company. And uh, it was right around the time of the George Bush Al Gore debacle. And, uh, but what I remember was there were one or two debates during our time there and they were making these promises, like within my first 100 days, I will do so and so. And that always stuck with me as a really clear way to tell people, listen, this is my priority. These are my priorities when I take the office. And, and that's, that's the vibe that I'm taking into this book, which is in the office of CTO, this is what my promise is for the first 100 days. Of course, I did some research on where the first 100 days comes from, and it was from FDR's days when the Great Depression was upon the US, and he turned the country around and put it on the, the you know, he, did, he introduced the New Deal, which was a 100-day plan, where in those 100 days, they turned out more legislation made more changes then i think i don't think it's ever the country hasn't ever seen that since then i think he had 98 days of of just every day there was a change and and he would just have this small group of advisors and people and they would just go and, and that's actually where brain trust comes from as well by the way the, the the term brain trust was coined from fdr's small group of people that he appointed that navigated the country through the crisis, which was the the stock market crash and you know the world economy basically tanking. This idea of 100 days, first of all, that's such a interesting background that you just described. And hearing you talk about it, not just in these contexts of politics, but also in the context of your book, in the context of really anything, what's so fascinating to me about this, I don't know what the science, I'm sure there's science behind it, but is that it's like, it's long enough that you hear that time frame and you realize things can get done and like material change can happen in a hundred days, but it's not so long that it feels impossible to comprehend. Like, you know, when people set like a five-year goal, I mean, I set long-term goals, but five years seems like so far away, but a hundred days, I can conceptualize that. So I assume that's part of what you're thinking, right? It might make people feel that this is actionable. It's going to be material and you're going to see it soon. Yes, yes. And, and and in the book, I talk about, uh, you know, journaling, C I have a little CTO journal concept to really encourage you to think about the people that you're working with, what you're doing. And, and a lot of these things, you know, there are books out there, you know, the first 90 days, there's a, clearly there's the onboarding phase, there's the the tour, the, the the tour that you make to sort of get to know everything. Of course, all of that exists. I specifically address what I see as a challenge in technical people who are highly skilled, highly optimized for finding the needles in the haystacks, are rewarded for finding needles in haystacks. To whom now the whole world has shifted to it's about the haystack and. Now you got to go into this arbitrary, ambiguous world of relationships and feelings to help inspire people to, to, to implement and do the company's vision, not only for new CTOs, but in new roles. And when I say new roles, I mean when you take on the new, a new role at a company or a, a, a CTO role at a new company. 
to really have this plan be something that you can take yourself through. And yes, a hundred days to me feels like I said, it's 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 ten times two weeks. So two weeks, ten times, and 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 my promise is that you can turn around or at least set yourself up to succeed at the company. Love it. Do we think that these both the challenge that you're addressing and the solution that is delivered by this concept, are these unique to the CTO role? Or is this applicable if we can if we remove the concept, uh, would these concepts be applicable to other roles as well? That's uh, such a good question and one I've been asked before. You know, there's there's two things that I want to, two ideas I want to insert here. I talk a little bit of, about slowing down, you know, uh, and, and in my mind, especially as a technical lead and as somebody who, uh, if, if you're joining a technical company, a technology company, my my first point is you're either working for or against your future self. What I mean by that is if you come in and so, let's say there's five hot ticket issues that the company's like, we need a new CTO, the other one screwed up, you know, you land the job and there's these five issues that that's on the table that you basically inherit as you walk in. And, and as this happens a lot, there's, there's this particular issue, particular challenge. Uh, you know, bottlenecks, scale, teams, funding. If it's to me, it's a race. It's a, it's a marathon, actually. I should say, if you're going to arrive and make several changes because you can clearly see what the problem is, it's something about technology. People, like I said, we are rewarded for speed and detail and specificity. And so, if you come into the 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 new role and you start solving problems too quickly, you might be acing it, but I think that's an extreme. I think in most cases, there's some oversight, there's creating expectations that will eventually be missed. And so I think with a problem-solving person who is a technical person in the role of CTO, there, there is the temptation to want to do too much too quickly. And I am recommending in the 100 Days I speak about one about a quick win, which is yes, go and deliver value quickly, but but maybe keep that to a minimum, and be suspicious about your assumptions, about the relationships. Everything is not as it seems, and rather slow down and take it easy. And even when the problems, when the solutions are super clear to you, it might not be the right time to introduce those. And that your value inherently does not lie in how many solutions you are implementing to the problem as quickly as possible. And even if the CEO is evangelizing that you do that, the value that you bring is, is, is as a human to listen, to understand, to have empathy, to care. And those things don't always come naturally, I think, to technical leaders, if I can generalize. So that's why I think that's very specific to the CTO role. The second point I want to make to that is the problems that you end up solving are not the ones that you were initially hired for. And so the problems that you are hired to solve are not, is not necessarily the ones that you're going to be end up solving. So for instance, the CEO or the C-suite or in your hiring process may emphasize the technical 
milestones or challenges or constraints that the company is facing. But when you join the company, you're most likely going to see a completely different view of what's going on. And you may have to solve those problems first. So systemic issues, we like to talk about technical debt in the, in the tech industry. Well, there's organizational debt, there's organizational projections of what they think a CTO does. And you may have to solve that problem first because they may have a complete misconception of what the CTO does. I mean, it's amazing how few people understand what the CTO actually does. You know, I think conceptually, we all understand what the CFO does, the CMO, the CRO, CEO. These are general business functions that have survived the industrial age. Maybe the CXO is a new thing with customer experience and all that. But the CTO is, is something that most people think, oh, well, it's the tech person that just keeps everything running and going and 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 but but really it's it's a lot more than that and people don't always understand it so you may have to solve that problem first by meticulously listening and articulating what it is that you plan on doing and not just rolling in and and assuming that everyone understands that the solution that you brought is necessarily the right one or if you went and solved all five of those problems that i mentioned earlier that you solved them in the right way and that they were problems to be solved in the first place. So that's why I think the the person in the role of CTO does have a particular challenge within those first 100 days. One of the things that's really interesting that I heard in that answer was this concept of listening. And my experience is that most CTOs that I know are remarkably intelligent. And of course, such a generalization, there's some that are obviously not as smart, but compared to maybe other types of roles, I mean, they're just the concentration of intelligence in the CTO role seems to be so very high. And these are people who are smart and they're capable and they're solution oriented. And I imagine that the problem you just described is a really difficult one as people enter that role. And it's like, you are smart, you're a problem solver, you're accomplished. I want you to do nothing but listen now. (laughs) for the first however long people are like what no i'm here to be excellent what are you talking about so that's a really fascinating like soft skill that you just described yes yes i love that you picked up on that you know and i think a lot of this speaks to where you believe you bring value and if you are in a groove that the value that i bring is to solve hard technical problems and be the smartest person in the room and be super duper intelligent which I don't fault that person for that at all. But if that's what you believe the value is that you're, gonna, that you're bringing, then you're going to see everything else as not valuable. And my point in the book is that's the most valuable. It's like the foundation that needs to be laid so that you can be the super intelligent being that you were put on this earth to be. And so, you know, if you want to come in and break things because, hey, I, I, trust me, I know what I'm doing, you know, a lot of people are putting their livelihood, their their futures, their their own job functions in your hands, so to speak, by the technical decisions that you're making. And for me, it's critical that you see those people as valuable. Even the even the most annoying salesperson who keeps selling the stuff that you don't build, there is something to be excavated there and to learn from, well, what, how did that pr- behavior get programmed? What is the underlying stress? What is the issue that that person is personally facing? I would love a 
CTO to be truly excellent about being curious about what's going on, how it's going, and then to see themselves as being valuable by being outward focused on you know their fellow C-suite members. I love it. Okay, so let's say someone follows this blueprint perfectly. Your dream reader goes and executes perfectly, flawlessly this 100-day plan. What happens starting on day 101? <laughs> Are they now getting into the, the technical issues or is it some other thing? Or, or is this book number two? No, by the time they finish book one, you know, I'm writing book 101 to, to 200. So, you know, I've got a whole Harry Potter series like thing coming out, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's, it's the flywheel, you know, no, that's funny. People ask me about that. No, I, I think, you know, the, the book ends, I end the hundred days by really focusing on the stakeholders, you know, as a CTO to focus on uh, what is it that the stakeholders of this company want to see? What do they see as successful? Of course, I do talk about introducing your technology strategy uh, somewhere in there. In the, don't worry, people. In, there is technology in there in the first 100 days. There is the, the call to improvise. There's the call to understand that within the first 100 days, and this speaks to your earlier point, there's probably going to be one or two missed expectations already in the first 100 days. If you're doing what I'm asking you to do in the book, you're most likely not going to meet some of the initial preconceived ideas that people had for you when you joined. So yes, there's going to be some missed expectations. So I'm hoping that all of that lays the foundation for you to get to work. And so for me on day 101, you're really set up to start doing the really difficult things. Sometimes you're going to have to ask for budgets that the company didn't intend for you to have. There's a lot of times, and I think you've seen this as well, someone comes to you because they want the proverbial penetration test and you're like, oh, okay, there's another one of these. Let's talk about vulnerability scan and let, let's educate them that their $10,000 point and click thing that they have is, is actually a $100,000 audit that really, you know, with is a fraction of the percentage of the risk that they face. There's all of that education that you have to do, which creates sort of the sense of, uh, man, that's not really what I thought I was going to get when I started talking to tedharrington.com. And, but now if you can, if you can, successfully coach and educate and and they can trust you and you can be well of course now on day 101 you get to run those tests work with the teams educate the the security teams build that bridge between the security teams and the rest of the company that may have been broken down so so my hope is that when you've cemented your place inside of the company's dna in that first 100 days you will have a lot of relational equity. You would have bought yourself a lot of time, wonderful trust to now start making those, sometimes those, those paradigm changing shifts inside of the organization. Phrase just popped in my head hearing you describe that this idea of slow is fast, right? Because like, I think a lot of people might come into this role and say like, why am I going to spend a hundred days just trying to like build relationships? Like I'm here to, you know, solve things. And it's the fastest way to solve those things is to build those relationships. So over time, you'll have the allies and support that you need. And you know, Ted, I, I have a lot of stories in there, not only my own, but other people's stories about thinking that they know what the solution is when really it's, it's, it's a solution to a problem that no one's had. 
you know it's 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 so much gets revealed in the nuances of 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 relationships and and so much is inherited from the history that you just were not around to to be there and experience so why ignore all that history and think that you're going to come into a system and make some changes this is not how systems work systems don't want to change so uh, the system is actually designed to reject you because of corporate relationships and behaviors it's, it's systems theory says that any change to a system is going to be met with the same force to resist it and get back to stasis or get back to the status quo so you're actually set up to fail and so if you can come in and understand that my role is not to be a change agent and to run hard and run fast my goal is to be successfully ingested by this new system <laughs> you know unless you don't want to be there for more than 100 days or 6 months i mean unless you want to go wham bam thank you and and go but if you want to have a legacy and you really want to make a difference those first 3 months is nothing compared to the impact you can have over the 5 or 10 years of your tenure and and so i think it's totally worth it yeah i love that i'm i'm hearing you describe maybe didn't use these words exactly but the distinction between influence versus authority and influence is what you're talking about like building relationships so that you can build allies or build alliances and be able to persuade people to support change a lot of people probably enter a role like this thinking oh i have the authority now i'll just tell people what to do it, it makes me think of um this is one of my favorite managerial stories ever we uh, we <laughs> we one time promoted this guy from an individual contributor to his first management role and the very first question he asked he's like all right when do i get to fire people <laughs> and we were like i think you're missing the point here of uh what leadership truly is so let's let's just take a minute before we start firing people <laughs> well i i actually talk i actually talk about that very thing is people who think that they bring value by making changes and firing people I think one of my first one-star Amazon reviews was someone took offense to to how I talked about uh firing people. Uh, I think it wasn't, you know, but but I was actually he he missed my point. My point was that exact thing you just said, which was you think that you bring value by by making changes. And I think that's the danger, right? Uh, it's 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 not it's not that you think someone should be fired. it's that you think that you should be thinking that or that you are valuable because you're doing that that to me is where the the sickness lies you know a lot of people it's like when you when you land a series b or c and suddenly you've got a 50 million dollar budget and you it's you may not it's not that you have the money it's that you think you should be doing certain things with that money even when you aren't fully experienced or bought into it. And so I think with that influence and authority statement, you know, I I always see people who are influ- truly influential or they're so comfortable with with that. There there's a certain level of comfort, there's a certain level of blase, and I th- I'm talking about the truly influential people, not not the influencers necessarily who who thrive on that. But the people who are truly influential, I get the sense that if they found out tomorrow that they're not influential anymore they would just be like cool i'll just go do something else or i'll just start my next thing 
And I think the same thing goes, you know, people with authority, the, and I talk about this as well, is the, the sense that people are uncomfortable with their authority and so they do really dumb things versus those who don't really even need authority to get things done. And so I, I, I want to see that inside of the, the, this, the role of CTO at a company. I love it. I hope you don't read those one-star reviews. I stopped reading the low reviews a while ago because the low reviews are always, they have nothing to do with what is actually in the book because they completely miss. what One of mine, I say like, right, it's on the front cover, the back cover, it's in the intro. It's even in another chapter later. It's like, this is a, essentially, a, it's not a technical deep dive. We won't do any code level analysis here. And one of my one-star reviews says, this wasn't a technical deep dive. There was no code level analysis, one star. I'm like, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, it's an interesting relationship. I think, you know, as a first-time author, yeah, there's an interesting relationship with the with the one-star people. I, I, I've had an interesting shift in my own persona, my own relationship. As someone who has built a community called Seven CTOs, and I've, I've built communities before that, I sort of defined myself by the health of the community and and by and and the desire to please people you know i you know if you want to build community you you kind of have to please people that you know that events that they like the topics that they like the other people that they like i mean you can't i i rarely see communities built around an asshole i see it built around people that you like and people that you want to be around and so i think for many years i i lost myself in that so i was afraid to speak up i was afraid to disagree I was afraid to to voice my opinion. I would have strong opinions in the shower and I would yell at that, you know, shower head for hours because I have opinions. But I was very cautious to to voice my opinion and and I was actually quite afraid to that was one of the reasons why this book project almost tanked. I was like is it really worth it for me to put myself out there like this? And 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 I think it's been interesting to see myself change and grow in this area of being willing to, and actually really enjoying disagreement as a way not only to debate the issues and the challenges, but also to learn from other people. And, you know, my, the worst one star review I have is someone was like, this is utter drivel. (laughs) Get other people to like you and, you know, journal and, and that's it. And I was like, wow, bro, that's that's, something. that's a serious conflation. But okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess if you want to be the, the the dude that that just does the IT stuff and doesn't need to be liked or need to have relationship with other people, then I guess this book is 100% not for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Etienne, I could talk to you about this all day. Um, we are coming up on the end of our time here. So is there anything that you want to leave our audience with? Anything I didn't ask you about that I should have? No, I, I think I want to just encourage people if you're feeling the loneliness and the, the heaviness of the weight of responsibility, the mantle of leadership, I want to just normalize that if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling misunderstood or unheard, or to just normalize that that's what 90% of people in your role is feeling. So I want to encourage you to call a friend, you know, just connect with other people. And, and, and if you can't connect and you just feel completely stuck, just, just do something that you love that other people also like doing, but just go do that. If it's 
you know, if it's snowboarding or collecting stamps or building go-karts or, you know, retracing the steps of the four founding fathers, just go do that, do those things because it's going to find other people who like that as well. And you're going to find some kinship in that and just get out of your head a little bit. But, but please know that you can connect with others who also feel lonely and hopefully that will provide a breakthrough. What a gift, man. What a gift to the community you're building, the all CTOs who could and should read this book. So you're doing good work. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. For everyone who wants to learn more about what Etienne is up to or about the podcast itself, just go to tedharrington.com backslash podcast and we'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.